We have a lot of videos of the podcast and various other tutorials on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash YouTube. Happy mixing and enjoy the show. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello and welcome back to the Mix Music Podcast. I am your host, DK. And unfortunately, Lou is not with me. He is still out from the vid. Please wish him better. Pray for him. Whatever whatever you want to do to help him feel better. Send some good vibes into the cosmos and hopefully it reaches him. Anyway, uh, today, <laughs> uh, my co-host is... The illustrious Brayden Flint. Hey, what up? What up, Brayden? Brayden. I, Bray- I was going to say Brayden Flint, and I just came out with Brayden. My Brayden. Uh, uh, Brayden, if you know, is my co host on the exclusive podcast episodes available at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive, where you will get access to three times the amount of episodes. That's right. Not only will you get one episode every Tuesday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, you will also get a new episode every Wednesday and Thursday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. And guess what? Due to popular demand, every single one of these Wednesday and Thursday episodes will be absolutely 100% technical. All the technical yeah. uh, doohickeys, and we will have guests on it. Well, they're technically not guests. They're not specific from us, but we're collecting audio from videos, podcasts, other sources, and creating clips, digestible clips that from award-winning producers and engineers, and then we are expanding on these technical insights that they give us. For example, we've had now Mike Bosey. We've had... Um, who else have we had? Gregory Le- Scott Les- on there. Uh, yep, Leslie Dave- Brathwaite, Young Guru, Marcella Areca. And many more, many more to come. I'm sure Dave Pensado is going to be part of that group as well. Kind of yep. like we take clips from various different channels and various different interviews and try to expand on different technical things that they've done. So it's actually extremely exciteful. I am also on that portion of the show oftentimes. So once again, you can get access to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive. All right, Brayden. Brayden is the man. Wonderful, generous co-host um, and a great person. So we're excited to have you kind of fill in when when Lou is unavailable as well as just be, just have, just goof off every once in a while. All right. So, because that's what this podcast is, is we're just professionally goofing off <laughs> and professionally going on tangents. Um, I don't know why you listeners are enjoying this. Um, <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. But, uh, They're here for the lols. Yeah, the lols. Uh, <laughs> the LMAOs, the LMAOs. Um, uh, we're going to... We're gonna uh, we're gonna get right into it. Today's topic is for anybody that's on the live stream. We are live right now. Twitch.tv backslash DK mixes. We are live right now, and we have guests here. We've watching. We have Braden here. Braden has watched me mix many times. Has watched me master many times. Has reviewed old mixes and masters that I've done many times. And I'm sure many of you have seen me mix on Twitch many times. I mix. Every Thursday morning from 10 to noon, 10 a.m. to noon, every Thursday, 10 to noon, Pacific Standard Time, so L.A. time. And, uh, yeah, and I'm sure we've also had many interns that watch me mix. I love it when people learn by watching me mix because they're able to take insight beyond what I'm actively trying to give them. So they ask questions, and I'm able to answer questions that I didn't know that they had. So um, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about... Um, we're going to talk about what you can learn from watching DK Mix. And I know that's a little bit specific, but I think we could do it. And yes. so I'm hoping that Brayden has watched me enough times to either figure out what kind of questions to ask me or what kind of insight you've had from watching me mix. And hopefully I can expand on different things that I've done or do um, that you'll recognize patterns. So this is not about what's good or bad about mixing and how I, well, it is kind of a little bit about how I make dope sounding records, 
but um, hopefully it's it's one person's insight into mixing and what you can potentially learn and take away from it. Um, my way of doing things is very quirky. It's very weird, and it's my system that works for me. I recommend everybody else do the same thing. You should figure out your systems and figure out what works for you. But on that note, let's get us started, Braden. Give us a little bit of background on what you've seen and some habits that you've seen. Yes. So first off, I will also say watching DK Friday mornings on Twitch at 10 a.m. Pacific time when he does Mix Feedback Friday is also super helpful because he will take people's mixes. <laughs> on the podcast, you can't see the face he's making, but <laughs> uh, he'll t- he'll you can send him your mix and he will give you feedback on it. And sometimes uh, he will kind of adjust things in the mix, say, here's what I would have done if I was mixing. And honestly, sometimes that is super duper helpful to have somebody show you what you can do to your mix to improve. DK also posts those on YouTube, youtube.com backslash DK mixes. So you can watch his mix feedback Fridays as well. So I don't want this to be like a PR interview episode with me. (laughs) Uh, It's okay. I'm going to jump into the thing now. Okay. Okay. Cool. 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 (laughs) But so there's a couple big things that I have learned from watching DK. Number one, how to drink water like a boss. Be, <laughs> yeah. Be good at mixing. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I know how to be good at mixing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing you're going to learn, how to be good at mixing. No, so the first thing uh, that I'm going to say that you will learn from DK is to learn a workflow and to learn to take that workflow and apply it to your own and or come up with your own workflow. So let me explain. A lot of people when they mix, and I used to do this as well, mix engineers that I work with do this, my friend in Nashville that mixes does this, a lot of mix engineers like to start mixing with the drums. I like I don't I'm gonna throw out a number here. I would be willing to bet that eighty five to ninety percent of mix engineers start with the drums. And I've heard a lot of mix engineers say it's if you because, don't start with the vocals. If you don't start with the vocals, then if you yes. in the instrumental you start with the drums. Yes. Pretty common. Yeah, and we'll talk about separation between instrumental and vocals as I've watched DK mix as well. But if you're and starting if you don't, with leave a comment. If you're watching this on YouTube, leave a comment. What do you start with? Yes, Sorry. exactly. Uh, I keep interrupting. No, you're totally fine. It's great. Leave a comment. Tell us. And um, okay, so I've heard a lot of people say if you can get the drums to sound good, then it will help the mix sound good without having to do that much to other stuff. Now, let me be clear. I preface that by saying, I've heard people say that. In my experience, that wasn't always the case. Just because the drums sounded good doesn't mean that the rest of the mix was like, oh, sick, now it's dope. Obviously, you have to treat everything else. A lot of people start with the drums because that's what they think, is if you start with the drums, you're going to get a good sound no matter what. What DK does is DK starts mixing with the bass, which I... (laughs) He's making more faces, which I have never seen anyone do. Uh, I went to audio school for six years because I'm dumb. It took me forever to get through it. But uh, the full, <laughs> you know, no, school's no four self, years. It took, no self, it took me six. Uh, no, no masochist <laughs> things on the, the podcast. You're not allowed to no, but if it, if it took you six years to get through audio school, I apologize. I'm not attacking anyone. Also, um, also, um, uh, it took me five years to figure out, to drop out. So like, uh, <laughs> does that make me there dumber? You go. so in six years of watching people mix and obviously a lot of people students people are students they're learning but even watching the faculty mix nobody started with the bass nobody not a single person i watched everyone starts with the drums or the vocal so that's something unique that dk does that you can you can learn from not necessarily oh i got to start with my i got to start my mix with the bass now because that's what dk does what you should learn from that is that you don't have to start the same way other people start. If you get a mix and you think, man, these guitars sound like butt, start with the guitars. you know. And then as you go along, you'll have to make adjustments. You'll probably have to make adjustments to the guitars as you move along just to make sure they fit with other things and that they sound good in the mix as a whole. But start with what you want to start with. Don't just do the drums or do the bass or do the vocals because somebody else does. So that's the first thing you can learn from watching DK Mix is that there's a unique workflow that everybody has and you've got to find your own. So DK, 
quickly for you, how did you find that workflow? Why did you figure out that starting with the base is what works best for you? Yeah, this is actually a good question. I've never really thought about how that started, when that started, why that started, but I think I have an answer. First off, I have no idea when it started. I, I have no clue. Um, I don't think it was at the beginning. I, if I had to guess how it started, it was because I wanted the relationship with the kick and bass to sound really good together. And the way that I used to do it is the way that everybody else does it, which is like start with the kick drum, then the snare, and do all of like the drum stuff, and then do the bass. And every time I did that, like I worked on like seven, five, like at least three to ten other tracks before working on the bass but the biggest problem that I had was bass and kick together and so what I did is I just dragged up the bass to be first and so that I can work on the bass and kick immediately after each other and make sure that that was like the baseline the first thing that I ever figure out was the bass and the kick relationship so that doesn't become an issue later like so there's no gap or in between time where I can lose inspiration so it's that's why it was like very pragmatic like i just wanted to work on the bass first so i can get that right so i didn't have bass kick issues later and mm. yeah that's kind of been my thing ever since and so i and i tend to have quite a solid i don't do too much and i don't do too little like i uh meaning that like i don't i tip my mixes are not known to have a lot of bass or not enough bass my mixes are known to have a varying amount of bass and more importantly they sit they're really solid foundations because i really feel like for me bass especially if it's like droning sub basses. Like if it's very percussive bass, it's very different. Like a funk bass, how I treat a funk bass is very different. Or like a melodic funk bass is very different from how I treat sub basses in pop, like droning basses. Um, and so, yeah, if it's, especially if it's a droning bass, I got to work with that first. Make sure that it cuts through, that I have enough saturation, whatever, or compression, whatever it needs to balance those out automation to get it done and make sure immediately right after work on the kick drum so I can make sure that that relationship is solid because those two things for me are the foundational parts of, of it's the foundation of most uh, pop and hip hop mixes. Mm, there you have it. And, no, and notice DK says it's the foundation of most pop and hip hop mixes. This is also going to be genre dependent. Uh, I listen to a lot of metal music and I listen to a lot of pop punk and in those genres, the bass is not as important, in my opinion, in my experience, as it is in hip-hop or pop. It's mostly the guitars and the drums that really are supposed to shine. So I'm sure there are some engineers that start with the guitars, they start with the drums. Um, but uh, And then, of course, in metal, like the screaming vocal, of course, is also the focus. Um, so the point of that is to say, find the workflow that works for you. And that's something that you can learn from DK because he has mastered his workflow. The second thing I'm going to say, well, now he's making faces, so maybe he hasn't. <laughs> no, I, I, I sure. For the sake of argument, I definitely have. Um, uh, <laughs> but the, I just can't think of like anything else except the cognitive bias episode that we did. I don't. I think that that's going to release before this one. It's yeah. just like every time that I say that I'm really good at something, now I'm worried. I'm really now good at it. you're concerned you're not. Am I now? Oh, I don't know. Is that cognitive bias? <laughs> Have I mastered my workflow? Uh, <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> so the second thing you can learn, and obviously there's like a never-ending list, but these are some of the things that I have focused on and learned the most. Number two is that do you don't have to do a lot to get a good mix. And this is a little bit dependent on the production and the arrangement that comes to you. If the production and the arrangement is really good, you don't have to do a ton of processing to the tracks. And I've watched I've watched DK do this. Some of the tracks he gets, there's like not a ton that he does individually to each of them because they're already really good. That being said, sometimes you get tracks that are not good and you might have to do a little more to them. But uh, you don't have to like over process things like crazy. I think that sometimes people get, excuse me, I don't know what that was. People can get caught up in uh, what I would refer to as plugin madness. Oh, it doesn't sound the way I want it to, so I got to throw 20 different plugins on there to get it to sound good. And you don't have to do that. Sometimes taking things away, which is also something DK is really good at, adds more than adding things. So, you know, if you want a mix to be brighter, cut the low end a little more. If you want it to be darker, cut the top end or boost the low end a little more. You know, there's there's things like this that um, uh, 
my train of thought is going all over the place now. I don't know where it's leading. But basically, sometimes you can do more by doing less, if that makes sense. And that's something that DK is really good at that you can learn from his streams. DK likes to cut in terms of EQ. DK likes to cut a lot. And by cutting and removing problems, it will fix uh, the rest of the parts that aren't cut and make them sound better as a result. So maybe you don't need to add something. Maybe you need to cut something. So that's number two, is that DK doesn't always do a ton. When he needs to, he can, but he doesn't always do a ton, and he does more cutting than adding. So where did that mindset come from for you, DK? Doing a, doing a little does more and also cutting more than boosting. Yeah, I think this is what comes from experience. I think most engineers get to this point eventually, which is after a certain point, you start to recognize that a lot of these producers, A&R, whoever you're working with, um, artists that send you mix, after a certain point, they, they want more than anything else is like a thumbs up approval. Um, and oftentimes, this is something that I learned from like Leslie. Leslie's a big fan of this, where like often, like he does so little. How do you rationalize someone paying you that much for a mix? Because he charges quite a bit for doing so little to it. And he says, most of the time people pay me to know what to do. And one of the hardest things to figure out what to do is knowing when not to do something. And that is something that takes a lot of time and experience. And I think for me, I like to keep the vibe of the record. I'm, I'm a producing mixer, meaning that I, change, I have the ability and capability to finish and change the song much more than a regular mixer would. Um, but... Uh, I also can recognize when things are good enough and they don't need to be changed. I will, I will, if I think there needs to be a vocal chop or something that happens or some sort of beat cut or something like that, I will add it in as a mixer because I think it sounds better. Mm. Um, and then I'll send the client, if, if it's too much of a change, then I'll make sure I'll confirm that it's okay with the client. But oftentimes they'll say yes because it actually sounds better because I'm good at what I do. But um, I would say that, so I'm able to do a lot more and I have the, I am a musician first, right? So like, I am able to do a lot more, uh, and but but at the same time, a lot of these records, I also recognize when they don't need to do anything, and that is a skill that's really really hard to do. There's no plug-in madness. I recognize this sounds good. Um, I just need to turn it up or down or not do anything at all, um, and that saves them. It keeps it closer. They're more happy with it because I don't. I'm not changing it as much. Um, and then there's also, but I will say though, one thing one thing that I'm also really confident with is doing really crazy and weird cuts that if anybody saw me visually, they'd judge me, be like, how can that sound good? Because that looks awful. That looks like spaghetti. That EQ looks like <laughs> pasta. And and that's fine. Like, it's, as long as it sounds good, I recognize I have a really good ability to find out what sounds good and not give a shit about what it looks like. So mm. when I do crazy cuts with like 20 bands... Um, Th that might be a sign where I'm starting to lose confidence in my decision and I might have to restart mm. over. But if I keep it, it, it's not weird for me to keep it. And I think that um, I have the ability to know when not to do something, but also have the ability to know how much, how far I need to go somewhere in order to get it done. So both ends of the spectrum there. Because you've seen me do some crazy weird stuff that no normal or noob or intermediate <laughs> mixer would ever dare doing because it looks yes. crazy. Yes. Um, but... But I've also done records where you're right. Like there's like three three EQs on the entire track and then limiter and that's it. And yeah. um, so it's it's just knowing your boundaries and knowing what the client wants and and that definitely like Leslie influence on there. Where Leslie mm. is more of like a traditional mixer, um, but I'm more of like a producer mixer. Like I I mm. tend to change things more. Leslie's goal is to change it the least amount and kind of respect and honor the rough mix as much as possible. So I'm I'm kind of an in between. Um, Got it. The number number two thing is subtractive. So we talk a little bit about this on one of our exclusive episodes, which I highly recommend you check out. Again, one more time, mixedmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive uh, to get access to that. That's $4 a month or $40 a year, uh, less than a cup of, co cup of coffee for a month. So um, anyway, so that information, the it's I talk a little bit about this, but one of my favorite tools that I have is the FabFilter EQ. Uh, for one specific fun function, it's it's called the auto gain, I think, or something like that. At the bottom right yeah. in all of their functions, there's a capital A, a bold capital A. And what it does is it compensates for the gain added or lost. So if I cut 10 dBs at 1K, it'll boost the signal to kind of, so when you bypass it, it'll be at the same relative volume. It's not perfect, but the same relative volume uh, just with the tonal difference. So 
uh, just to be clear with it, that means, so for example, if I cut, or if so, if I have a high shelf that does 10 dBs of gain from 1K, and then I drop the volume 10 dBs, what have I done? I've really just created a low shelf cut, 10 dBs at 1K. Or let's do the opposite. If I create a, one, a 10 dB uh, high shelf cut, uh, 10 dB high shelf cut at 1K, and then I boost at 10 dBs, what have I done? I've done a 10 dB boost at the, from uh, a low shelf boost from 1K, right? So whenever, because of that mode, whenever I dip something, so if I dip 3 dBs at 1K, like a bell dip at 1K 3 dBs, what it's actually doing, it's not just dipping, but you can also interpret it as it's boosting the lows and the highs, 3 dBs, because it's automatically compensating the gain. So I'm dip, I'm cutting, but because it's doing automatic gain compensation, I'm technically also boosting, but you'll only ever see me like boost on fab filter, like, or cut on fab filter. I rarely ever boost on fab filter. Um, and that's one of the things that you have to recognize is that like a cut for, uh, in that episode, the exclusive episodes, they said that like, if you want to make something brighter, just turn down the low end, do a high pass filter and, and it'll automatically make the mix brighter, you know? And that's, that's true. Like it's a tonal balance. It's a teeter totter, teeter totter balance. Um, so for me, I just like to boost. I think like the technical reason, the philosophy of why boosting is more, <laughs> more important than cutting is the idea of just like cleanliness. It doesn't make sense really, honestly, the more I think about it out loud, the cleanliness of you want to take out what's bad before adding what you think is good for the fidelity of the signal. I'm sure that there's some sort of science thing there that I just genuinely don't give a shit about because it doesn't matter because it does the same thing, if, especially if you compensate with gain. Um, and so uh, for me, I just I'm I think logically more from a subtractive mindset. I think that also comes with Leslie too. Leslie's a very much take out what's bad before adding what's good mentality, mm. and 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 that doesn't mean I don't do additive EQ. I definitely do additive EQ, but it's it's mostly subscri- subtractive, and subtractive is first before additive for me for me personally. Got it. Yeah, I work the same way. I do subtractive before additive. I feel like that sounds best to my ears and my own personal taste. But um okay, so that was number 2 that you can do a little to you can do less to do more and also cut before you boost or try doing more cutting than boosting. Okay, and I I've, I've got four of these. So number 3 is try new tools and experiment with the tools you have. That is something that DK like I have never seen such a massive list of plugins in my entire life. <laughs> when he when he opens his plugins, and the crazy thing is, DK has 9 billion plugins, and when he does something, he opens up the plugin menu and doesn't scroll through. He goes to the search bar and types what he wants because he knows the sound he's looking for. Because, in my opinion, he has tried so many of them so many times. He's tried new tools. He's experimented that he knows what each one does and he knows which one is going to work best for each scenario. So if you're somebody that's been doing this for a long time, you might have your set of go-to tools. You might have uh you might have tried a bunch of different things and find what's work what works best for you. But I would even still say just try new things out. Try a different compressor, try a different EQ, try a different limiter because they're all going to have their own characteristics and they're all going to do their own thing to the signal, which might be something you like. And sometimes trying something new is a good way to get out of a rut. If you feel like you're stuck, if you feel like, oh, I don't like the sound of this anymore, I don't know what to do, I, you know, just try something different. And you might even use the same tool, but just do it in a different way. You know what I'm saying? So that's one thing that I have seen DK do a lot is like, I feel like uh, DK's always got some new plugin he's trying out, doing the trial version of it, seeing how it sounds. I literally um, just downloaded something I'm wanting to try out tomorrow or later today uh, after this <laughs> stream is over. There you go. So try new tools. Uh, you never know what you're going to like. And sometimes, honestly, sometimes the stuff that's like 10 bucks, 20 bucks is like really, really good. So you don't have to go out there and buy these super expensive plugins. Um, although I will recommend the FabFilter Pro Q3. It's an expensive EQ. Just buy it once. It's it's expensive. You, yeah, Just buy it you once. Get You're it. never gonna look back. Um, to to answer some of the questions in the chat, three must have plugins. That is one of them. You have to have mm-hmm. the Pro Q3. Um, 
But yeah, so to say it again one more time, and I won't harp on it anymore, just try new tools and experiment. Uh, use the old tools in new ways. Use new tools in old ways, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that, that was not, yeah, that does not work in, in I, yeah, backwards. I started to say it, and then I was like, yeah, that, that doesn't work. Oh, I mean, it kind of works. It kind of works. I mean, like, use yeah. new tools in traditional ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Kind yeah. of. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. So, I mean, yeah, this is actually super important, and I think it's a big deal. Um, you know, who makes a big deal out of this is Dave Pensado, and I think uh, going back to like our referencing back to our previous episode together, which was about cognitive bias and the learning, the competence levels of competence and learning. Um, I think this is really, really important. One, um, it keeps me out of uh, complacency as far as like. Um, I'm not super, I'm automatic enough to be really efficient, but there's a per- part of the time where it's not automatic on purpose. I think through it because I want to try things. Now, I have systems around trying to do this, so I'll, I'll tell you about one of them in a second. Um, but I think it's absolutely important, if not for the sake of, if, if, at least for the sake of learning and growing and expanding my palate and tastes, I think it's very important for everybody to experiment and try trials for different plugins and different tools. I, I want to be clear about something. I can outmix you with default plugins. Okay, um, it is it is not going to make your mixes better to have different tools. It's not. I had someone while they were I was watching me stream while they were watching me stream. Someone is like, someone commented and said, "DK, you like to use tools that nobody knows. You like to use tools that like aren't mainstream." And it was interesting to me because from their perspective, I use tools that like just to be a hipster almost on purpose. Uh, but that's, to me, I've never thought that. I've never thought I'm going to use tools that nobody else has because I'm trying to be a nuisance when I send over sessions. No, you know, like, <laughs> that's not it at all. It's, it's more about, I know what I like and I happen to like the ones that are less mainstream. And then I also use a lot of super mainstream waves plugins. So it's like, it's more about, I know what I like and I know what's good for me. So I want to be clear about that. I, I don't use weird lesser known plugins for the sake of using weird lesser known plugins like if i'm using a weird lesser known plugin that means i really like it and mm. i think it does something better or at least gets me to a place faster than if i were to do it myself for example there are a lot of plugins out there like saturation plugins or anything where i can hear what it's doing to the audio and i can basically low-key emulate it with an eq for example there's there's a couple settings in decapitator where i'm like okay if i just do this boost here cut here boost here and on an eq i can make it sound it but it's not distortion it's just additive or cut in eq but i can give it the same similar tone um I've done that a lot with like a uh, Lou one spot, like uh, uh, a summing mixer from dangerous. And I was able to like, I could do this with the tone that you're getting out of the summing mixer. I can do with an EQ. Like I know exactly what it's doing. I can hear what it's doing. And I was able to get really, really close actually with just a pro, pro Q three or how it changes the tone. Um, it's interesting as far as like tonally going like dynamics. I can't emulate that with an EQ, but like tonally I can, I can emulate that. And but there are a lot of tools out there that I like, quite frankly, have no idea what it's doing, but it sounds great, or I'm not able to emulate it. Or more importantly, it would take me way too long to try to figure out how to do that with a Pro Q3 on this, how, how it's interacting with this track. So it's like the plugin for me is a means to do something faster, get to a location faster. It's true. I, I didn't recognize that you recognize that I rarely ever scroll through the list. I do sometimes, but I almost always type it in. Uh, yep. I, you're right. I know exactly what I want. And I think that's what separates really great mixers from like beginner mixers, experienced mixers from beginner mixers where beginner mixers are we're like scrolling through, figuring out what they want to do. But experienced mixers know exactly what they want to do. They're just trying to figure out how to get there. So oftentimes I have tools. And, and dare I say, I do have a personal set of plugins that I use quite often. Like I have habits, like I, I have tendencies and habits and I have my go-to plugins for different things, but I have a lot of go-to plugins, meaning I have like 30 go-to compressors, depending on, let's say I have a 10 for different ones that I like to go through for drums, but it totally depends on how the drums are hitting and how I want them to hit after the compression, let alone, so I first need to determine, does this drum set, drum stereo track need a compressor to begin with? And on top of that, which compression tone is my best guess at achieving what I want? So for example, do I want dynamic control, but without the tonal character shifting too much, and I just want something super duper duper fast, maybe with a little bit of a mid cut, API 2500. Do I want something that smashes the shit out of it, makes it feel old and vintage? 
vintage than either Wolf Compressor or the Silica from Kush Audio? Do I want something super transparent and linear that like is going to give me a compressed vibe but not too much of a difference? Then I'm probably going to go something VCA like a SSL or like an iHeart iHeart New York the the um uh the Baby Audio the parallel from Baby Audio. So right, yep. so it's it's so I have a lot of go-tos. My palette is quite big and that comes from experience and so i think that this and it only helps me become a better mixer like you don't need these large palette of plugins but just like a painter like the more colors you have it's great it, for experienced painters they say don't buy too many different colors it's better for you to learn how to mix and blend colors and try to get a lot of different colors out of like the main primary colors than it is for you to have like a stack of 20 different colors and like not having to blend anything so like i do recommend for beginners like like do use default plugins for the sake of learning it but once you get to a certain point like it's really great and way more way faster to have an extensive library of plugins um that do different things and then you can also expand your palette and what you like and and kind of but the big sorry about this i'm 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 long-winded right now but the big point of all this is is know what you do know what you figure out what you like have confidence in your ability to figure out what you like and what you don't like i think it's totally okay for you to like to dislike a mainstream plugin so for example uh the clear example of this is uh a person that we've interviewed on the show multiple times a good friend jesse ray ernster grammy winning jesse ray ernster he said he said i he's told me multiple times i hate the shadow hills mastering compressor he just cannot get it to work. And he's told me that multiple times every time I've posted about it. And I don't like it that much. Like, I think it's, I, I think it's, I, I think a little goes a long way. And like, if you go past minus two dBs of gain, minus one dB of gain reduction, you're already doing too much with it. It's just, it, the way that it smushes things is really weird. Um, and I've used the hardware too. Like, kind of weird. Um, but at the same time, like, it's okay to not think someone's good, something's good. Like, it's more about having the confidence to trust your own skills and to try them enough and be able to come up with your own opinions. Okay, one one system that I do to remind myself, because I don't have 900 plugins front of mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I can only remember 50 plugins at a time. And... Then I'll realize, like, oh, none of the ones that I want to try, I want to try. Sometimes I'm like, I want to experiment and try a totally different compressor, so I scroll through the list to see, remember what I have. But another thing that I do, I have a sticky note on my desktop, uh, and I've typed in plugins that I haven't used in a while, that I've had and never used, or that I've just bought, and I leave that sticky note on my desktop, and sometimes I reference to it while I'm mixing to remind myself what I should try. So it's like I always have new plugins front of mind and try to add them to my palette. So it's like, oh, going through my list and recognize that I haven't used this EQ or used this compressor for a while and I've had it for forever. I want to use it on my next mix just to remind myself what it sounds like. I leave a sticky note with the names of the plugins on it and uh, just make sure to remind myself to try it out on the next mix and, and formulate an opinion. Amen. Done. I'm done. Sorry. That was really long-winded. <laughs> no, that was great. Honestly, like... It's super good to hear you talk about your thought process with plugins and your decisions on which ones to use. I mean, this is what everybody wants, right? This this technical information from DK that you can get it from uh, subscribing to our exclusive content. We're giving right, you just, right. a, <laughs> just a little bit of a taste here. Just a <laughs> Exclu- no. Subscriber die! Subscriber die! <laughs> Subscriber no, die, baby! No, sorry, I had to shame we're this done, plug We're it. done promoting um, it. We're done promoting yes, it. Yes, last <laughs> I think, time. People will get it. I do think that this is a good time to uh, uh, talk about our sponsor, though. Uh, yes. Big shout out. Thank you to Isotope. Ew. We, lo- we love Isotope. We use Ozone, RX, Neutron, uh, Vocal Synth, um, Trash, uh, Vinyl Insight. is free. Uh, st- you know, Isotope's gen- generic, the free stereo width or whatever it is, is like I use that on like a lot. Like it's one of my favorites. Uh, I will say though, um, Algorithm One, Type One, not Type Two. So it's the either the first original Gen One stereo wide inner stereo with free plugin. But if you're using the new updated one, then um, type one, which is keep it at six milliseconds. Type one, that sounds amazing. Not type two. Type one is my favorite. All right, uh, but uh, but try it out. I mean, according to what I just said, I think that regardless of whether or not <laughs> I like it, what I think you should experiment and try out type two and change this millisecond. But whatever. Um, yes. Yeah, Isotope. I love Isotope. And guess what? Because of them sponsoring the podcast, you can go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash Isotope. One more time, that's mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash isotope. And you could get 10% off any of their products and or 
um, they extend their trial periods, their monthly subscription bundles, they extend their trial periods. Um, instead of seven days trial period, it becomes 30 days if you go through that link. So if you want an extended trial period, again, once one more time, mixedmusicpodcast.com backslash uh, Isotope. Um, I will say that Lou and I are subscribed to Isotope's top-tiered monthly subscription podcast, which is like their everything bundle, and it is absolutely wonderful. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Can't get enough of Isotope. Thank you so much for subscribing to the sh- for sponsoring the show. Okay, what is your number four thing? Number four thing uh, is, and this will be the last one, but this is arguably the most important. Bum, bum, bum. Uh-oh. And that is be intentional. You can learn how to be intentional from DK about your mixed decisions and your mixed moves, okay? And let me say this. This is a hot take. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I feel like DK says this a lot. But if you are doing something in your mix just because somebody else told you to, stop doing that. If it works, great. If it doesn't, stop it. You need to use your ears and be intentional about what you're doing. So if someone says, "Oh man, this uh this guitar," oh yeah cut, yeah yeah, the eleven seventy six revision A is like the best thing on electric guitars, <laughs> and CLA yeah. uses the revision A eleven seventy six on vocals to get that low mid boost, and you should use it every time on vocals and and electric guitars yes. because that's the industry standard. Yes, there's always a problem with guitars at 500 hertz. You should cut it as I push up my glasses. No, use... (laughs) (laughs) That's funny, we both wear glasses. But um, no, so be intentional. If you're going to do something, know why you're doing it. And if you're beginning and you don't know why you're doing it, that's okay. That is the point of learning. That's the point of getting better. So if somebody says something like that to you, we're not saying don't try it. We just said try new tools and experiment. So do that. But don't do the same thing every time over and over just because someone said you should and just because it's what other people have done. You know, you like develop your own style as a mixer, develop your own brand, develop your own personality, figure out what you like. And you know what? If if Chris Lord Algae uses the 1176 Revision A and you try the 1176 Revision A and you're like, this is the dopest compressor of all time, then please, by all means, go ahead, keep doing it. But do it. Because you think this compressor is dope and I like what it does to my sound, not I use this compressor because Chris Lord Algae uses this compressor. And I, so, and I think one of the ways that you do that specifically is when you try compressors and stuff, you close your eyes, bypass the shit out of that compressor, and tr- figure out, you click it so you don't know whether it's bypassed or it's it's active, and you try to listen for what sounds better. So even if you want to try the 1176 with the Revision A, like Chris Lord Algae does it with his settings, um, what you could do is do exactly what Braden does, like bypass it a bunch so you, it, you don't know if it's actually bypassed or active, and then close your eyes and listen for which it, which when it sounds better. And you've said many times that you found out uh, you thought it sounded better when it was bypassed. Yep. And that's, that's a form of intentionality that I'm talking about. Um, I know a lot of new mixers, like, for example, a great example of being intentional while still learning is bypassing the compressor to figure out if it actually sounds better or at least recognize how it's changing the sound. You might not recognize if it sounds better or not because you don't have the enough experience or enough context to know if it's going to sound better, but to be able to recognize how it's changing the audio and do that on purpose. And, and, and quite frankly, it's a lot of hard work and a lot of focus to figure this out. Um, you're creating new neuron pathways. <laughs> like It's not easy work, you know. Uh, but a non-intentional thing is a vocalist, uh, a producer on, on YouTube told me to have minus 3 dBs of gain reduction on the compressor as my second insert in Pro Tools uh, because that's how it's supposed to be. That is a bad example of not, that's an example of not being intentional. Like you did not try, you, like you just took the dude's word for it. And I'm going to tell you something. You should, here's the thing, here's the funny thing about arguing with this stuff. People love to compare plugins, and there's like, I mean, there's whole YouTube channels about it, like analog versus YouTube uh, plugin and whatever, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of knowledge that comes from it, the experience of comparing and trying very many different technical tools, professional tools, and figuring out which ones work best for you, which ones you like the most. But I also think there's something about, something to be said about, um, oh, I've lost my train of thought. Um, 
Oh yeah, having the confidence to know when you disagree or when you don't like something. Don't like something. Mm. For example, this is a very subjective. This is not an objective craft that we do. There's no end goal with mixing or producing. It's a very subjective thing. So you know what's a very valid argument for not liking something? If you if I if you said, oh my favorite plugin ever is this Fab Filter Pro, Pro Q3, and I was and I had this and this is not true, but if I had the opinion, I was like, ah, uh, you know, I don't like the Fab Pro Q3. Oh my gosh, how could you not like the Fab Filter Pro Q3? It's so amazing. I'm like, uh. You know what a valid reasoning that you can defend yourself with is it just didn't work for me. And we have an objective, a subjective craft. So like that's a solid enough answer to like defend yourself. Like that's a good enough reason to not like something. It, it didn't, I couldn't get it to work for me. I just didn't like what it sounded like. Yep. Yeah. So like there's no pressure to like anything that anybody else likes or to dislike everything that somebody else dislikes. You're allowed to formulate your own opinions and I and I hope for the sake of your betterment you do. Um let's say you find out you hate Procre 3, then hate the shit out of it. Do it. <laughs> and and use what works better for you. That's okay. Although you are losing out. But don't use what's better for you. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I hate Isotope. I've never heard anybody say that ever on the face of this planet um, because it's not true. That's a fact. Isotope is amazing. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's not opinion. It's fact. No, tease it. Uh, but uh, uh, I think that the point of this is to, as you experiment and you learn, you different, different, learn different flavors, but it should instill the confidence that you need, that every mixer needs to mix better. So... Hopefully that was a good enough of a tangent. Did I stay on the task? Did I did yeah, I understand absolutely. the assignment? No, I mean that that's all a part of being intentional. And that's the whole point of this. And that's, you know, the fourth thing you can learn from DK is to just be intentional. You know, have a reason for your moves. And if you don't have a reason, try to find one. You know? Try to uh, and here's the thing too. If somebody says to you on YouTube or somewhere else, uh, you should try not to have more than three de decibels of gain reduction on your final limiter. If they say that see if they follow it up with a reason why or if they just say that. Because if they follow it up with a reason, then it gives you something new to learn that then you can experiment with to see if that works for you. So, you know, that's what I've been told a lot, especially as a mastering engineer. Oh, you shouldn't have more than one and a half decibels of gain reduction on the final limiter. And I'm like, well, in the day and age where music is loud, like that's not always practical, you know? And the like, for example, the other day, I think I had... And I, it made me, it made me physically uncomfortable <laughs> because I was going against the grain. But I, I think I had, it was like three point seven to four dB of gain reduction on my final limiter, and it sounded really good. I did not have a problem with it, which was really surprising to me because when I have pushed other songs that hard, they do crap out and they don't sound good. So again, it comes back to you know, figure it out, try different stuff and be intentional about what you're doing. I intentionally wanted a little more volume. I didn't necessarily want a more squashed sound, but I wanted and needed a little more volume. So I literally, I think I bumped the limiter up like a half a dB and that got me obviously more gain reduction, but it got me the level I needed and didn't totally blow up the mix, which I was super stoked about. So um, be intentional. And I know I said there were four, but there's actually a number five. And that is DK is totally going to show you how to have fun as a mixing engineer. DK is a super fun guy. He's super exciting, as you all know from listening. <laughs> and that's what this is all about, right? Music. We're doing what we love. We're trying to make a living doing what we love because it's fun and we enjoy the craft of it. So learn from DK how to have fun when you watch his things. And you can see, like, I feel like a lot of mix engineers I watch, and especially mastering engineers, they sit there all stoic as they listen to the music and they close their eyes and maybe nod their head just a little tiny bit, like, mmm, that was saucy, you know, or something like that. But, like, DK, when he's mixing, he's, like, in his chair, like, head banging, like, moving back and forth, like, yeah, this song is dope, you know, and it's because it's fun, and that's the way music should make us feel. So... You know, sometimes I feel like engineers are a little bit just like, oh, I have to sit here and think about the technical aspect of the music the whole time. But the point is to have fun with it, and DK is a perfect example of that. So watch his streams, watch his YouTube videos, and you'll see how much fun he has, honestly. Um, and it's inspiring, and it's motivating. Like, I remember when I first started, um, or I shouldn't say first started mastering, but for a while I was like, I was like, I need to sit here 
perfect posture. I can't move my head because it might affect the reverb time in my room and it might affect phase issues and there might be some kind of cancellation. I need to sit here like a stone to listen to this before I do any EQ moves. And then after watching DK, I was like, that is so ridiculous. So now when I hear a song that I like that's dope, I'm like, I don't care how it affects the acoustics. Like, I'm just banging my head, you know, like, so... um, and I'm I sure do other think, masters. I do. I think actually, can I expand on this point? I think this yeah, is a yeah. great one to finish on. Um, uh, I don't like comparisons too much with between humans, humans. Uh, but uh, <laughs> one human told me uh, that comparing my mixes to another human, which I'm sure most other people that are listening to the podcast would recognize. If I, I'm not going to share their name, um, but someone that everybody would recognize, um, they said that my mixes. This intern said that my mixes are much more musical. And the other mm. person's mixes are much more technical. And at the end of the day, they registered and recognized as a consumer, they liked my mixes a lot more as they were more musical and emotional. Um, I think, uh, yeah, and I mean, there's, there's been times where even the great Serban Ganea did a mix competition, like on a Weezer record, um, Serban Ganea mixed a track, and then also the original mixing, I forgot which album, which song, it's on Gearspace. You can listen to the A-B comparison. And they said that the band went with the other dude, the original mixer, even though they felt like Serban's was more technically correct, they just wanted to keep the vibe of the first one. So, interesting, right? And I do think that enjoying the craft does actually change the tone uh, significantly. And I think that making things sound musical is a compliment, is a great thing. And Sounding ba- like what is the what is the phrase that I've heard many so many times that people like I think it's so true like balanced mixes suck, <laughs> yeah. and and there there's no character there's no vibe there's no feel like you have to be brave and and let music be music for the sake of being music and and do things that are good for the song and and you have to be able to enjoy it in order to do that and to at least perceive and recognize what you can do to make it sound something that you can enjoy. Create babies, raise children to be someone that you like, right? As, as we've said many in before, I love that metaphor. Uh, but I think that that's a lot more important than I think that I don't want to glance over this one because I think that is important. I think that it is so important to make your mixes sound musical than it is to make them sound technical. Mm. And time and yep. time again, the between two engineers, the the artist, the A and R, the band will often choose the one that is more musical, not the one that is more technical. Um, so be aware, and yeah, enjoy the process. Absolutely, and I to touch on that point, I literally had that exact thing happen to me. I was in a mastering shootout with a seven-time Grammy award-winning mastering engineer, and when the client got mine and theirs, his was definitely more technically correct. His, in my opinion, his drums sounded quite a bit better than mine. <laughs> they were real punchy and real snappy, but uh, for whatever reason, um, you know, I I feel like I was probably a lot more into the music than him. I had a lot personally invested in it because it was a song I had written with somebody and then sold to an artist. And as a result, they ended up choosing mine. And I was like, over a seven-time Grammy Award winner, like, how is that even possible? But it just, the feeling of the song came through, um, you know, because I, and I'm not saying he didn't enjoy the process. I can't speak for him. But it was a little more of a personal project for me, so I had a little more feeling involved in it, I I would like to think, which translated through to the yeah, client. Create, make up your own story to, to make sure that you believe whatever you want to believe and get out of that story. <laughs> 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 he he was probably sitting there enjoying it more than you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That was a very no, Buddhist but, uh, thing. Yeah, very Buddhist. It was a crazy experience. But yeah. Yeah. Anyway, to uh to recap real fast before we end and let DK send us off. Number one thing you can learn from DK, and this isn't in any order, like, oh, number one's the most important. Number one, you can learn how to figure out your workflow. He has a different workflow than you probably do. You have a different workflow than Tizio. Tizio has a different workflow than Leslie Brathwaite. So Figure out what works for you, and that's something you can watch DK do, and he does a great job of it. Number two, less is more, and cutting can be more beneficial than boosting. So take a look at that. Maybe try less plugins, try a little more cutting, see how that works out for you. Number three, that DK is awesome at, always try new tools. DK has the biggest plugin library I've ever seen, and he experiments with every single one of them. Number four, be intentional. Do something and know why you're doing it. And number five, have fun and enjoy the process.
Wow, you did it. I used to make bullshit lists when I was recording. We all of these podcast episodes are totally like impromptu on the spot. We're like, we're we're we have no idea what we're gonna say before we start saying things. If you couldn't tell already, it's pretty obvious. It's not quite narrated, <laughs> narrated or scripted in any sense. Um, you, yeah, you came up with the bullshit list on the spot and then was able to recap it at the end. I've only been able to do that with my bunch of bullshit lists uh, a few times in the past. <laughs> I mean, I wrote it down to be fair. Oh, you, it's on okay, you wrote screen. it down. Okay, that's cheating. That's cheating. <laughs> yeah, I, there I was, was one cheating. time I made like, in one episode, I bullshitted like a five point list and then I recalled <laughs> them on my own too. I was so impressed with myself. Nobody on the show, nobody listening recognized that I talked. Like it probably sounded really well scripted and I had written yeah. it down. No, nah, that was totally off the mo- off the dome. <laughs> and and well, I thought you did the same thing. I was really impressed. But no, you wrote it down. That doesn't Yeah, count. don't be you're impressed. Not, you're not it as cool as cool. I thought. No, <laughs> I've got it in my notes right here. I'm reading it. <laughs> oh, this was a scripted episode, damn it. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, um, yeah. thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in anything that we do, go to mixedmusicpodcast.com. I think this episode, I'm going to promote. Did you know I make kids' books? I make children's books. I have three children's, technically four out, but one of them is in Japanese, so three English children's books out. Uh, the books are uh, about my children and about children in general. One is a lullaby. The second one is about having a new kid in the home. And three is about potty training. And each book is also a song. So the lyrics are also the words in the book. And you can get a free PDF download of all three of these books or buy them for $10 on Amazon. Uh, and all you have to do is go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash kidsbooks. K-I-D-S books. Kids books. Um, it'll take you to the link. So enjoy that. All right, I think that's what I want to promote this time. Otherwise, uh, leave a five-star review if you're listening on F- Apple or Apple or Spotify. Those reviews do help us a shit ton, so we're really, really grateful for anybody that's willing to do that. And on that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Yo, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug about Antares and Autotune. Antares makes the original industry standard autotune that we all know and love the sound of. We are sponsored by them, so if you visit mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash autotune, we do get a small kickback from every purchase. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Please enjoy this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.